Let's stand for just a second. Everybody stand and stretch. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer together as we open God's word. Father, bless our time in your word and thank you for it. Let us never take for granted this Bible we hold in our hands and the privilege that we have to read it, to study it, and to share it with others. Bless our time in your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, children, you may be dismissed at this time to our children's ministry. Miss Sarah's in the back, and there's a sparkly dress in her arms, so follow the sparkly dress. All right. And you. <laughs> Join me in your Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, we'll be, uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 16 for a little bit, but we're headed to 2 Timothy and uh, want to um, look at the life of a mother here that the Bible says had a genuine faith. Um, the Bible tells us, uh, Proverbs 1.8, not to forsake the law of our mother. And uh, that's good advice. Mom usually knows better than you do. And even in those times where she doesn't, which are very, very rare, you should still listen to her anyway. Moms, uh, even more so than dads, uh, are the greatest molders of our children. I mean, we spend nine months inside a mom, and then we spend years uh, with her as she raises us and trains us. And more often than not, uh, dad is not there. Uh, he's working, he's away, but mom's there. And moms have a connection with kids that dads don't have. And you're wise, very wise, to listen to them. There are two New Testament books uh, that bear the name of Timothy. Uh, two letters that Paul wrote to a man by the name of Timothy. And uh, they are... Uh, well, Second Timothy is believed to be the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, before his death at the hands of Caesar Nero. And Timothy grew up in an area called Lycaonia in either the town of Derby or Lystra. The Bible is not exactly clear about that. There were two towns very close to one another. And um, Timothy grew up there and his mother, uh, her name was Eunice. Uh, his father's name is not given, but his mother was a Jewish woman that raised Timothy to believe and follow the Old Testament scriptures, the writings of Moses and the prophets. And his father is not mentioned as being a believer, and so therefore he most likely was not. And so he grew up in a home with a Christian, or not a Christian mom, but a, a Jewish mom and uh, a non-Jewish uh, dad. And uh, one day, some men arrived in his hometown preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and that Jesus had gone to the cross and died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose from the dead. And they were commanding all men everywhere to repent in the name of Jesus and to come to faith in Christ uh, there was a man in Lystra in that uh, area where Timothy grew up who had something wrong with his feet. Uh, he had been born crippled and had never walked a day in his life. And Paul said to that man, stand up on your feet. 
And the Bible tells us that the man sprang up like water from a fountain, just popped right up and started walking around. And that amazed people, as you can imagine. It amazed him so much that the pagans that lived there in the area, they worshipped uh, other gods. And they thought that Paul uh, had um, and Barnabas were their gods that had come down to them in the likeness of men and they uh, there was a temple nearby, a temple of Zeus, and the priest from that temple came, and he began to lead the people in worship of Paul and Barnabas. They brought in flowers to honor them with, and they even brought animals to sacrifice unto them. And when Paul and Barnabas understood what was happening, they said, whoa, 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 why are you doing this? We're people just like you. We're not gods. We came here to tell you to turn away from these idols, to turn from these worthless things and to turn to the true and living God. And the Bible says they were barely able to stop the people from worshiping them and sacrificing. Then some unbelieving Jews from Antioch and from Iconium showed up and turned the folks in Lystra against Paul. So much so that they stoned him and dragged him out of the city. Now, that shows you the fickleness of people. The same people who were about to worship him as a god now pick up rocks to throw at him. And they thought they had killed him, but when the disciples gathered round, he got up and went back into the city and preached the gospel. And the next day, he and Barnabas left Lystra and went to the city of Derby, which was nearby, and continued to preach the gospel uh, to folks in Derby, and many believed on Christ through their preaching. There was a young boy there by the name of Timothy, and he and his mother Eunice and Lois, for the first time in their lives, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. His grandmother and his mother, being Jewish worshipers of God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Timothy was raised, as I said, to follow those teachings. Uh, This is the first time that they had heard that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died and was buried and rose from the dead. And they became disciples, believers, followers of Jesus Christ. Timothy became a follower, we see in Acts chapter 16, of of Christ. And it says that uh, they came they came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed. Notice here the word disciple is used to describe this young man. This is about three years after that first time they'd heard the gospel. We don't know exactly when Timothy put his faith in Christ and became a follower. Uh, he's called a couple times in Scripture by Paul, my son in the faith. And so it's very possible that Paul himself led young Timothy to Christ, uh, but not necessarily so. But we do know by Acts 16, three years after that first meeting, this young man was a disciple that was well spoken of, well reported of in that area. And um, the word disciple is... Uh, the Greek word mathetes, and it means to be a pupil or a follower of a teacher. And here was uh, Timothy following Jesus Christ, 
and serving him and making other disciples. That is the command that's been given to us as a church, to make disciples. You know, if we did everything that we do here at the church, everything that we're involved in, everything that we take part in, but we did not make disciples, we should shut the doors and quit. Because our purpose is to make disciples. Now you say, well, our purpose, our ultimate goal is to worship. Yes, it is. And uh, missions or disciple-making exists because worship doesn't. And we're to make followers of Jesus Christ. And when we get to heaven, we'll continue to worship forever and ever, but we won't be making disciples. And so Paul was doing what God called us to do, making disciples. Timothy doing the same. And Paul shows up and says, I want you to go with me on my journeys. I want you to be part of my missions team. And, and Paul took Timothy and Timothy became part of Paul's ministry. Now in second Timothy chapter one, we see a little bit about the, the life of Timothy's mother and grandmother. Um, Paul says in, in verse four, he says, I greatly desire to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Probably talking about the last time they had been together. And, you know, when you go apart from someone that you love, there are often tears that are shed. We spent some time yesterday with some some good friends of ours uh, up in East Texas. And, you know, uh, when you leave people like that, sometimes there's a sadness and you you start to leak a little bit because you're, you're going to miss them. And Paul says, I, I want to see you. And I remember your tears, probably tears he had when Paul and he last departed. But then he says, and I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. That word unfeigned, it's not really an archaic word, but it's not one we use often. It's still in use today. Uh, you see it in uh, you'll see it in sports. We'll call it sometimes a juke. The guy's running with the ball and he goes like he's going to go this way, but he doesn't go this way. He goes this way. What did he do? He pretended like he was going to go this way, but he didn't. Or in a boxing ring, guys are boxing around the ring and a guy faints. Sometimes we'll call it faint or feign with the left. He's wanting you to think he's coming with the left, and then boom, he comes with the right. He's pretending that he's going to use the left, but he doesn't use the left. He uses the right. That's a feign. And an unfeigned means unpretended. It's the real thing. It's genuine. And so Paul's saying here, I remember the genuine faith of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that you have that same unpretended faith, that genuine faith. Now, apparently, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, came to faith in Christ first, because that's what Paul mentions, then his mother, Eunice, and then Timothy. Um, That unfeigned faith or that genuine faith, it's true, it's sincere. And how can you tell if something is genuine? And how specifically can you tell if faith is genuine? Uh, I used to like to watch a program. I, I've never been too tied up in any TV program, so I never like, oh, i got to be here at home at this time to see that. Uh, but there was this show that I enjoyed called uh, Pawn Stars. How many of you know what Pawn Stars are? 
And I'm not a big fan of pawn shops, but I was always intrigued by that show because people would bring some very interesting items into the pawn store and uh, try to sell them for, you know, a certain amount of money. And I remember seeing one where a guy brought in a uh, uh, an autograph of Benjamin Franklin. And I thought, wow, that'd be pretty pretty cool to have an autograph of Benjamin Franklin. And, of course, you know, you look at it, and I don't know what Benjamin Franklin's autograph looks like. I mean, you could, uh, Daryl, you could write Benjamin Franklin down on a piece of paper and give it to me and say, look, I've got Ben Franklin's autograph. And I'd say, wow, that's cool, because I wouldn't know. But they would bring in experts to take a look at whether it was an autograph or an old coin or some artifact to to check and, and verify that this thing is the genuine article. It's the real deal. And so they brought a guy in. He's got this glass he's looking through, and he's comparing that with with what he knows to be for sure Benjamin Franklin's autograph, and he's... Going said, well, there's this stroke and that stroke, and he writes his E's this way and this and that. And all told, he read and he looks up, he goes, this is the real deal. This is Benjamin Franklin's autograph. Of course, the guy who brought the autograph in, he's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's been proven. But there are times when they'll bring in articles and the expert will look at it and say, it's, it's really neat, but it's not the real deal. And they're always disappointed. So how do you put the faith under the microscope, so to speak, and determine, is it genuine faith? Well, um, let me say a couple of things about what genuine faith is not. It's not believe in yourself. You know, self-confidence, believe you can do it, buck up, you, you can believe in yourself. And there's a, there's a place for self-confidence, um, but uh, it's not what the Bible describes as faith. Um, it's not also, it's not believe what you want to believe. Now, there are a lot of people that proclaim things and they'll use the Bible and say, you know, you, uh, you believe it into existence. You know, you got to believe it and name it and claim it kind of thing. That's not Bible faith. We're going to look here in a minute and see exactly what Bible faith is. But it's not believe what you want to believe. Uh, we call that make-believe. You know, when you believe something, you make it up. And then you believe it. And that's okay if you're a child, okay? Uh, kids make believe all the time. It's, it's fun for them. You know, they're a pirate or they're a princess or they're this, that, or the other. When I was a kid, I did a lot of make believing. I'm sure you did too. I, I, I don't know how many World Series games I've played in, okay? And Super Bowls. I mean, it just, it was part of growing up, you know? And of course, in my make believe, you know, I would always be at the batter's box with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series, two strikes and two outs, and I hit a grand slam home run to win the World Series. You know, now, folks, that never happened. But did in my mind, it was make-believe. And uh, I got a little story here. It's actually the lyrics to an old song by Kenny Rogers that uh, that kind of bears that out. And and I want to uh, you bear with me. Listen, it's, it's a cute little song. I won't sing it because I can't sing like Kenny Rogers, but I'll read it to you. It says, "Little boy in a baseball hat stands in the field with his ball and bat. Says I am the greatest player of them all. Puts his bat on his shoulder and he tosses up his ball." 
And the ball goes up and the ball comes down. He swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound as the baseball falls to the ground. Now, the little boy doesn't say a word. He picks up his ball. He's undeterred. He says, I'm the greatest that has ever been. And he grits his teeth and he tries again and the ball goes up. And the ball comes down and he swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound as the baseball falls to the ground. He makes no excuses. He shows no fears. He just closes his eyes and listens to the cheers. Little boy in a baseball hat picks up his bat, a ball, stares at his bat. He says, I am the greatest and the game is on the line. And he gives his all one last time. And the ball goes up like the moon so bright. He swings his bat with all his might. And the world so still as still as can be as the ball falls. And that's strike three. Now it's supper time and his mama calls. Little boy starts home with his bat and his ball. He says, I am the greatest. And that's a fact. But even I didn't know. I could pitch like that. (laughs) Make believe. It's okay if you're a kid. But you know, if you go to the office and somebody's pretending they're a pirate, you might get a little nervous, you know. Make believe is just that. And sometimes Christians make up things and then believe them and they call that faith. That's not faith. And it's not even faith in Christianity. Sometimes I read things about so-and-so who converted to Christianity. You don't convert to Christianity. You convert to Christ. Christianity didn't die on a cross for your sins. Christianity can't save you. In fact, Christianity may do you wrong, but Christ never will. What then is genuine faith? Well, take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 4 with me. We're going to see here in Romans chapter 4 a very distinct definition of faith. In Romans chapter 4, it's talking about the father of our faith, Abraham. And it says in verse 1, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as according uh, pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Now, that's a good question. Mark it down. Never forget it. That is the question. It isn't, what does Brett say? Or what does Chris say? Or what does John think? Or what does Alan say? What saith the Scripture? That's the most important question to ask in anything. What does the Bible say about it? He says, and what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God. Highlight that. Underlight that. Abraham believed God. It doesn't say, though it does say in other places, that Abraham believed in God. But it's not saying here Abraham believed in God. It says Abraham believed God. You say, what's the difference? Believing in God means I believe that he's there. I believe God exists. I believe he's real. The devils also believe. And the Bible says they tremble. But believing God is different. It's more than believing that he is. It's believing what he says. If I believe you, that means you say something and I believe what you say. Abraham believed what God told him. 
Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now look down in verse 5. But to him who works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So in verse 3, it says he believed God and it was counted for righteousness. Verse 5 says your faith is counted for righteousness. So faith equals believing God. That's what faith is. Faith is when you believe what God says. It's not making up something. It's not make-believe. It's not belief in yourself. It's not belief in what you want to believe. It's believing what God says, simply believing God. Now, this is the faith that proves true. This is the faith that, when tested, is proven true. Genuine faith can be seen. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11. I know you know the verse, but I'll quote it as a reminder to us. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It didn't say faith is not seen. It says faith is the evidence of things not seen. If you brought as a trial lawyer evidence into the to the courtroom and stood before the judge and said, Judge, I enter this evidence as exhibit A and you place nothing there. Nothing that can be seen or heard or you put nothing there. That's not evidence. Evidence is what you can see. James put it this way. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you Did you hear that? I will show you, you will see it, my faith by my works. Noah had faith, you could see the ark. By faith, he built an ark. What was that ark? It was evidence of his faith. Abel had faith and brought the proper sacrifice to God for his sins. You could see the sacrifice. It was evidence of his faith. Moses had faith and he left Egypt. He forsook Egypt. He would refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His actions proved they were substance and evidence of his faith. You could see it. The word substance has to do with conviction and where you stand, what you stand on. Sub is below. Stance is a a standing. You stand on it. People can see what you and I believe. And so faith is substance and evidence. Eunice and Lois lived a life that showed people what they believed. And Paul said they had genuine faith. And I trust, Timothy, that you have that same genuine faith. Now, where does that faith come from? Well, it's not uh, stirred up in the flesh. You just can't simply say, okay, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. That's not how you get it. No, it's very clear in the Bible where genuine faith comes from. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4, by grace, verse 8, are you saved through what? Faith. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God. What is faith? Faith is a gift from God. How do you get it? Faith comes by hearing, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is a gift from God that you get through his word. If you want to increase your faith, increase your time in his word. You cannot have faith without God giving it to you. You cannot have faith without his word. Faith in anything else is unfounded. It's not good faith. Faith in what God says is true biblical faith. And that's where Eunice and Lois got their faith. Now, in chapter 3 of Timothy, we'll see this. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, But continue in the things that you have learned, Timothy, and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice here, Timothy was raised from a child to know the Holy Scriptures. Scripture, the word Scripture, there are two words used for Scripture in the New Testament, grama and grapha. They both have to do with what is written. When you write something, that's a script. A script is something that is written. And he says the written Word of God is given by inspiration. We'll look at that here in just a minute. Uh, but that word literally means God breathed. Now, the Bible makes a person wise, he says here, unto salvation. Mothers, your children need the Word of God far more than they need Dr. Seuss. I love Dr. Seuss. The green eggs and ham Someone said Dr. Seuss was the greatest rap artist there ever was. <laughs> Maybe somebody that knows how to do that said, if you can take green eggs and ham and put it to a rap tune, that'd be great. I love Dr. Seuss. I love Charlie Brown. I love a lot of uh, good books. My wife is the reader in the family. I don't read as much as she does, and she loves to read. But listen, there is no substitute for this book. I don't care what book you're reading. I like to read a lot of different authors, good authors. But nobody and no book is given by inspiration of God except this book, God's Word. Moms, start early. Don't stop. Be faithful. Continue to teach your children and your grandchildren God's Word. You see, without the Word of God, we would be in darkness. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A home, a nation, a people without God's Word are a people in darkness. Jesus said, you do err, you make your errors, not knowing the Scriptures or the power of God. When people don't know the Bible... They make mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean that people who know the Bible don't make mistakes, but at least you know you've been enlightened. Enlightenment comes from God's Word. The world is under condemnation of sin, and they don't even know it. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, For that all 
have sinned. That's an elementary truth of God's word. That the world is under condemnation of sin. And that everyone is a sinner. I don't think they teach that in kindergarten. They ought to. That's a greater truth than anything you'll learn in any of your calculus classes. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. You can have a Ph.D., but if you don't fear God, what good does it do you? An education without a Bible is damnation. You just go further down the wrong road. Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. This world is in darkness and God has a plan to deliver it. He says here, wise unto salvation. The word is soteria. It means to deliver, to save, to rescue. It can be physical uh, deliverance. It can be emotional. It can be spiritual. It, in the context here, it's obviously in reference to salvation from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. But God's plan for salvation doesn't just include me individually. It includes the world corporately. In fact, the world we live in, the Bible says, will be delivered from the uh, the judgment of sin that's upon it when Christ returns. We live in a cursed world. What well, curse will be removed? Now, Romans chapter 5, well, let me give you three things real quickly here. Salvation can be spoken of in multiple ways, but three things specifically. When you get saved, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you are justified by faith. That's a one-time act where God declares you righteous through the death of his son Jesus. Romans 5 says, therefore, by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus, many were, uh, uh, or the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. So in Adam, you were condemned. When you were born into this world, you're born condemned. When you are born again into the kingdom of God, you are born justified. And that is a one-time act where God declares the sinner righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And then there is what the Bible calls sanctification. Sanctification is not a one-time act. It is an ongoing process. But let me say this. If you are justified in Christ, you are being sanctified. The one goes with the other. Sanctification means being made saintly or set apart. That whole idea is to make you and me like Jesus. John Hargrove, we got a long way to go. Amen. Yeah. Me and you both. That's the purpose of sanctification is to make me like Jesus. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. It's an ongoing process, but it is a ongoing process. It says, uh, Paul said, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter one, he, he talked about, the, uh, it, uh, oh goodness, what's the verse? Verse number six. Call it out to me, baby. Louder. Being confident of this very thing. It's good to have a wife. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun, when he justify you, begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Colin, I'm glad God's not quit working on me. 
He started a work in me when he justified me through faith in Christ. And every day he's working on me and on you to make us like Christ. That's sanctification. I wish I had time to talk about that more, but I don't. Thirdly, the third aspect of salvation is what we call glorification. Listen to this. Romans 5 says, therefore, being justified by faith, one-time declaration, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That's our sanctification process. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what's he talking about? Glorification is, in essence, the final removal of sin from the life of all those who put their faith in Christ. We're saved from the penalty of sin when we're justified. We're saved from the power of sin through the process of sanctification. And one day, thank God, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. There'll be no more sin in us or around us. Can I get an hallelujah for that? You know, Les, one of these days, you're never going to have to ask yourself the question, should I have said that? Should I have done that? Is he going to be just like Jesus? And you're going to say, yeah, absolutely I should have said it. Because I've been glorified. I've been made perfect in Christ Jesus. Uh, Romans 8 says, verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also uh, called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. In God's sight, it's already done. We're already glorified. Now, we got to wait to get there, but God says it's a done deal. Romans 8 says the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, listen, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We're going to share in Christ's glory in his resurrection, in our resurrected bodies. And some of that glory is connected here, he says, to how we are willing to suffer for Christ now. Doesn't mean you won't be glorified, but the Bible says one star differs from another in glory. You ever gone out at night and looked up and at the stars and some of them are distant. You can barely see their light. And then every now and then you'll see one that just shines brightly. Those are the Billy Grahams. Those are the ones. You know, they're shining brightly in the resurrection. But you're going to be saved. You are already saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. Christ took that at the cross. You are being saved from the power of sin, the temptation. You're being made more like Christ, and you will ultimately be saved from the very presence of sin when you're glorified in Him. God's plan of salvation is a worldwide plan. It isn't just for us here in Georgetown. It's a generational plan. It was good for Lois and Eunice and Timothy, and it's still good for us today. It's an unchanging plan. God hasn't changed it. And it's all about Jesus Christ. From before the foundation of the world, God chose Christ to be the salvation of this world. And he gave us this Bible. He has 
The Bible says in Hebrews 11, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, Jesus Christ. All the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a revelation of who he is. Let's close with this. Now look at Second Timothy with me, chapter 3. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration. Inspiration of God. Inspiration has to do with breathing. You inspire, you expire. It has to do with breathing. I've been standing here for 30 minutes talking. You say, what is, what's been going on? Air has been coming out of me through my mouth and I've been forming words. That's how you speak. If you didn't have breath, you couldn't say a single word. You have to have breath to speak. And he says here, all scripture is God breathed. The word is theonustos, breathed of God. So what he says is these scriptures that we have written have been given to us by the very breath of God. He spoke. First, or Second Peter says in Second Peter 1, I think it's verse 21, he says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He said, what's going on there? Well, the prophets were speaking, but it was God's breath. They were inspired. It wasn't that they were inspiring. Sometimes we think that, they, well, the, the Word of God inspires me. That's not what Paul's talking about. He says the very words they spoke, they were the human instrument, but it was God doing the talking. Here's an example of it in Second Samuel chapter 23. Now these be the last words of David. Whose words are these? David. David, the son of Jesse, said. Who said this? David, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said. Notice three times. It's David. It's David. It's David. Here's what he said. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. That's what we call theonustos, the doctrine of inspiration. God spoke these words. Listen, when I open my Bible on a daily basis, I'm listening to my creator. He is speaking. That is why Bible reading and Bible study is so very important. Listen, I love Christian music. But Christian music isn't given by inspiration except where they emphasize and utilize the Word of God. And that's why I appreciate what Alan does. He tries to choose songs that are based on Scripture. Because the Scriptures are given to us by inspiration of God. They're called holy Scriptures. That means they're set apart. They're consecrated. They're not like other books. Scriptures are writings given to us by inspiration of God. I'm going to put a plug in for Awana here. Moms, put your kids in Awana. Now, the church isn't here to raise your kids. The church is here to help you raise your kids. And every Wednesday night, Sharon, we get to be a blessing and a help, helping those kids learn God's Word. Amen? I love the fact that I see uh, on Wednesday nights generational teaching. We've got several elder people, elderly, seasoned, 
like me, working with little ones, teaching them the Word of God. They're not my grandkids, but they're somebody's kids, and I get to be Lois or Eunice. I get to help Lois and Eunice share the Word of God. So, uh, listen, get involved in one. If you know kids that are that could use, uh, or some families that could use help training and discipling their kids, get them involved in Awana. It's a great, great program. Let me close with this. Timothy taught, was taught the Holy Scriptures. The Bible says it's profitable for you for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now look at the last part of Second Timothy. It says that the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished into all good works. He said, from a child you've known this, now you're a man. You know how you grow a a person from a child to a man? Through the word of God. We don't know. Well, let me just say this. Especially for those moms that your kids are still at home. Your child is growing up. And one day will leave you. That's kind of a sad story, isn't it? They're going to leave you. After all you've done for them, they're going to leave you. But that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. Paul came along there in Acts 16 and said, Timothy, I want you to go with me. He may have still been a teenager at that time. He was not very old. And he left home and he went with Paul on this journey. He left behind his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and his father. And we can follow Timothy's life through the New Testament writings. He's mentioned 20, in 24 different verses in the New Testament. We see him in Acts. We see him in Romans. We see him in First and Second Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, Philemon, Hebrews, and, of course, in the two letters that bear his name. When Paul wrote to him as a pastor in Ephesus. But not one time do we see in the New Testament that Timothy ever returned to his hometown. Now, he might have. We don't know. I'm not saying he didn't, but it's nowhere mentioned after Acts 16 when he left Lycaonia. It's never said that he ever went back. We don't know how Timothy's life turned out. We know he died because it's appointed unto all men once to die. Timothy's death is not recorded in the Bible. According to church tradition, though, Timothy remained in Ephesus as a pastor for the rest of his life until he was martyred for his faith. Most likely never did see his mom and grandma again until when it really mattered. Mom, that's the kind of child you want to raise. One who will put Christ first above all, like Timothy. And the way we do that, ladies, is with this book. Teach your children the Word of God. Father, I ask your blessings on our church. I thank you for every mother that's here this morning. No greater influencers in the world than these moms would sit here. They have more power than the president. They have more power than a king or a queen. They have the greatest opportunity to disciple.
the children in their home. And so God give us women like Lois and Eunice, women of genuine faith that comes from you through your word. May their lives be saturated in the word of God so that when they speak like the woman in Proverbs 31, that the law of kindness is in their lips, that wisdom comes forth from them, from you and your word. And Lord, bless this generation of young people with godly mothers and grandmothers who always put their faith and trust in thee. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.